0: Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program with a study from Cornell University. And it's really interesting because it shows that tomato juice can kill salmonella typhi, another bacteria that can harm people's digestive and urinary tract health. This was published in Microbiology, Spectrum, and Salmonella Typhi which, by the way, is a very deadly human-specific pathogen that causes typhoid fever. First, the researchers in laboratory experiments checked to see if tomato juice really does kill salmonella typhi. Yes, it does. So once it was ascertained it did, the team looked at the tomato's genome to find the antimicrobial peptides that were involved. The most significant discovery is that tomato juice is effective in eliminating salmonella typhi and its hypervirulence variants, and other bacteria that can harm people. In particular, two antimicrobial peptides can eliminate these pathogens by impairing the bacterial membrane, a protective layer that surrounds the pathogens. Quote, Our research shows that tomato and tomato juice can get rid of enteric bacteria like salmonella. That's very important. Now, I understand that they're going to want to find the chemicals and then they'll patent them and in all probability make a drug. Okay, but why not just start encouraging people to take a glass of tomato juice each day, low-sodium tomato juice, organic tomato juice, easy to find. You could even get organic tomatoes and juice them yourself. That's the best way of dealing with it. And what about in those countries where they're very susceptible to typhoid? typhus. Why not send in the tomato juice and give it to them? Our next study comes from Chung Ang, A-N-G University in South Korea, published in the British Medical Journal Open. Three daily servings of kimchi can lower men's obesity risk. Kimchi is a very traditional Korean fermented dish. It's much like sauerkraut. K-I-M-C-H-I, Kim chi And if you're overweight and you're having trouble losing weight, um, then a the radish kimchi is linked to lower prevalence of midriff bulge in both sexes, men and women. And that's important. And what they do, I don't recommend kimchi. I'm merely saying the scientific literature says because it's very salty because they use a lot of salt in fermenting. They ferment various vegetables with various flavorings, onion, garlic, and fish sauce. And cabbage and radish are usually the main vegetables used in kimchi, which contain fewer calories and are rich in dietary fiber. And they also have prebiotics, a microbiome-enhancing lactic acid bacteria. And they have polyphenols. It's not that it's not healthy. It is. But (laughs) I can't take the taste. But that's just me. A lot of people love it, and uh, you may too. So it can just help you, all right, with getting rid of that extra fat in the diet. And from the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, switching to a vegan or ketogenic diet rapidly impacts your immune system. Researchers at the Institute observe rapid and distinct immune system changes in a group of people who switched to a vegan or ketogenic diet also called the keto diet. They monitored various biological responses of people sequentially eating vegan and keto diets for two weeks in random order. They found that the vegan diet promoted responses linked to innate immunity, meaning your body's non-specific first line of defense against pathogens, while the keto diet promoted responses associated with adaptive immunity, meaning pathogen-specific immune-built immune built through exposure to daily life and vaccination. Which is better? Vegan. So metabolic changes and shifts in the participants' microbiomes, the communities of good bacteria in your gut, also were observed. Each person ate as much as desired of one diet, keto, or vegan, for two weeks. And uh, then they studied the results. And the vegans were the best. Now, the keto diet affects levels of proteins in the blood plasma, more so than the vegan diet. But they just have too much protein anyhow. And from Cambridge University in Great Britain, scientists identified how fasting protects against inflammation. This study was yesterday, just published. Cambridge scientists have discovered a new way that fasting helps reduce inflammation a potential damaging side effects of the body's immune system that underlies a cancer, diabetes, dementia. In the paper, the team describes how fasting raises levels of a chemical in the blood known as arachidonic acid, which inhibits inflammation. The researchers say it may also help explain some of the beneficial effects of drugs like aspirin. Okay, that's good. Now, let's go back to 1972. Institute of Applied Biology. I was a young junior researcher, and I was up in the anti-aging division, and what I did was I thought about all the people around the world who don't have a regular meat-based diet three times a day, and why are they living the longer lives than Americans on average? And so I studied different patterns of behavior And then I said, let's put it to the test. So I took a group of 1,000 rats, and I gave one group the standard rat chow every day, and another group, I fasted them. I took the food out at night, so they had no food between evening and morning. That group lived 27% longer. They were healthier. They had more energy and endurance when put to energy tests. And then I thought, okay, that took almost a year. What would happen if I fasted them every third day? Well, they had water and juices, and chlorophyll juices. But they wouldn't have solid food. And that was even more impressive in their longevity. They lived a longer life. What I did not know at the time, I would only find out last year in a letter from the Director of Sciences there, that the Institute's top people felt that if they were submitting for peer review articles that did not have to do with the drugs that they were developing, these were very bright people, Institute Pasteur and all these top people coming to do research, and because they were really left alone, they weren't micromanaged, and they were all very, very smart, they didn't believe in nutrition. They did not believe in, you know, dieting and exercise and stress management. They were all, in my opinion, overweight, smoked, drank, nice people, no problem with that. Uh, But they were all looking for the golden ring. They were looking for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. They were looking for the big patented contract uh, products for big pharma. So that quite simply, they felt that if if they paid attention to me doing non-drug-based things with lifestyle, that it could adversely affect their, their funding. So my articles, 164 articles, over 33 years, not one was ever submitted for peer-reviewed publication, except one, and it was published, called The Egg Project. But I was the first one uh, to do this fasting, and then followed it up with individuals, humans, And, uh, But I'm glad to see that 50 years later, actually 51 years later, half a century later, the good people over at the university uh, did something to show that fasting was beneficial. So, good for you, Cambridge. I'm glad you're doing it now, and I'm glad this information is getting out. But think of all the people that heard about this in my radio show broadcast and clinical experience and studies and the health support groups. Then that means that you're going to be living a longer life, a healthier life, less obesity, less heart disease, less cancer, less dementia. And I see it all the time. In fact, I just got a call last night from someone. I hadn't seen this person in years, and they are a gourmet chef. They make their living by uh, cooking for people. And now, because of COVID, they've moved out of New York, and uh, they're just taking it easy, quality of life, And the person said, I just want to, I called you to say thank you. And I said, for what? Because 20 years ago, at a grand opening party for a medical doctor in this new clinic in New York, and you're friends of that doctor, uh, I was there. Never met you, knew of you, of course, listened to your radio show. And we had a conversation about uh, someone had asked a question about what is the future. Of those of us in the health field. And I said, well, one big career that will be opening up is that as more and more people who are, are middle class and want to really be helped with their health, they're going to be looking at coaches. Uh, it's less expensive, but the health coaches, the nutrition coaches, the life coaches can help people. They can be there as a support system. And, but also vegan chefs. On the Upper West Side, people are so busy. They work such long hours. They're almost all professionals in different careers. And uh, I know because my daughter is a private chef to some very well-known people. And she makes a lot more money than she could at a regular job. And she's doing something really good. And she loves what she's doing, so she's honoring herself. And she's helping the people get healthy, organic, vegan meals and juices. And she makes them once a week and then them in the refrigerator or freezer and then they just you know eat them each day after that and so this person asked me who called last night asked me well i'm into fashion and art and i said good and but i'm interested in this health thing could you give me some references and so i said i'm going to i'm going to do a cooking class and uh in the basement of the store it's not that big it's small but uh, i'm going to do like a four-hour class where people learn how to cook gourmet vegan foods at low temperatures, and raw foods, and how to do raw foods in a healthy, good way. And she attended the classes. Now, here's what's important, and here's what she said, that she began to change completely her diet and her lifestyle. And she started eating the right foods, juicing, exercising, taking Pilates and yoga and meditation, which she didn't do before. And uh, she began to see that she didn't have as much in common with her associates and friends and people, even family members. And now she says, at her age, I don't know what age she is. I'm guessing around 70, but that might be all. But she says, I look 40, and no one believes that I'm my age. She didn't tell me what it was. She says, all because... I took your advice and uh, started really getting into health, and not just superficially, but really full committed. And she says, now I have just two clients, and I cook for them each week, and that makes me enough money. I'm not rich, don't have a lot of money, don't want a lot of money, but I'm happy. I hang out with nature and pets, and I have a few friends. I read a lot, things I didn't have time to do in New York because I was always working on my art and taking it to art fleas market, flea markets and never just being able to do more than scrape by. She says, so when you said, work on quality of life, not a standard of living, I've done that. She says, on all levels, mental, physical, spiritual, it's working. I just want to share that with you because she also fasts. From 6 o'clock at night, she doesn't eat until seven o'clock, to eight o'clock the next morning. That extends the lifespan. That allows rejuvenation of your stem cells. That means you're going to live a longer life. You're not going to look at the same age and feel the same age as other people. Just want to share that with you. And now we're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Just to remind everyone that if you want to be up to date on everything in the world of health and nutrition and recipes, just go to Garynall.com. scroll. Right there you'll see the newsletter. It's easy to find. We made it easier to navigate. And you have three choices. One is you can get a free copy, and thousands do, but you get it one day a week. And it's just it's got all my show notes in it. So you see all the different things I'm talking about, and things I don't even get to. But then for a tiny little bit of money, I mean, it's it doesn't pay for itself. It's not, I think it, I could be wrong, it's either 7 or $9 a month. You get it every day, and you get a lot of other things with it. You get, for example, when I do a webinar, if you're a paid subscriber, you get to join the webinar for free, that saves you 30 bucks. And this year, I think I'm going to be doing about three webinars. Um, then you also get at uh, discounts. You get uh, you get far more information. You get first look at upcoming chapters of a book. The book's probably six months off, but you get the chapters right away. Uh, you get uh, videos. You get all kinds of stuff. So it's really worth it. And then the third option is you can just sign up for a year, and then you get even a, a discount after that and all the other all the other benefits. So. It's important. Now, to the, uh, to the issue at hand. I don't believe anyone in this audience should criticize or demean in any way someone who took their vaccines, because the high probability is these people believed in their pharmacist, their nurse, their physician, the government officials, celebrities on television promoting it. And there was a great divide. But the people who were attacked and denigrated, who were assaulted and arrested, all kinds of negative things happened, excluded. Couldn't go on airplanes, couldn't go into restaurants. And this is around the world. Those people actually were correct. And everything you've been told about the vaccine, unfortunately, and COVID, unfortunately, were wrong and lies. We've been presenting this information to you and I only present information that I've independently validated. We're now going to show you uh, what a group of concerned citizens, including nurses, are saying now on the record. These people to me are exceptional. Why? Because they knew the reward if they were compliant. Just go along with it. Don't talk about what you see, don't talk about errors, don't talk about unnecessary deaths, don't talk about the toxic reaction of drugs, don't talk about intubation, don't talk about it, because then you'll make a lot of money. But if you do challenge anything, including not to the public, just inside, if you tell your supervisor or the director of the department, you're going to be fired you're going to be then attacked. If you should dare go public, well, then you'll be gaslit and you won't be able to work again. So, you didn't know all this because where would you find a form that would present them? No one in the mainstream media is going to present them and much of the alternative media did not. But we do. And we've had dozens and dozens and dozens of physicians and nurses on in the last three years telling you the truth. Now, this is just the latest example of how bad it was. Because now we can look back and we have 3,500 scientific studies published in peer-reviewed literature as of today that shows how wrong they were, how deadly it was, and all they can do is try to lie, obfuscate, and uh, deny. But here's the truth coming right at you.
1: Ken McCarthy. Ken, you were one of the early pioneers of the movement to commercialize the internet in the early 1990s. Time Magazine credits you with being the first person to recognize and articulate the importance of the click-through rate as a key metric for making the internet commercially viable. You uh, you were introduced to the practice practice of science as an undergraduate at Princeton University where you studied psychology and neuroscience. In August of 2020, you released the documentary, Fauci's First Fraud, which was cited 28 times in the RFK Jr. book, The Real Anthony Fauci. You were the author of the new book, What the Nurses Saw, about the systemic medical murders that took place and continue to take place under cover of COVID hysteria. Welcome to VSRF Live, Ken, and thank you for all your work.
2: What motivated you to to write this amazing book with these incredible nurses and respiratory therapists that we'll, we'll meet?
3: Um, well, it's a long story. Uh, I'm doing this. I'd like to, um, make sure that I stay within my five minutes, which is difficult for me. So I've written some notes, uh, and I'm gonna go through them really quick and it will answer your question. And And I'm doing it because we have very important people on this call. Uh, we need to hear what they saw. Uh, we need to hear how they were treated, uh, when they honored their oaths and tried to protect their patients. And we also need to hear all the positive things that they're doing now in the face of this ongoing catastrophe in the hospitals, which is not over. Um, We call them whistleblowers, which is accurate. But what they really are are people who are dedicated to health, the health and well-being of other people. That's the profession they signed up for, and they are honoring their oath. So how the book came to be, after Erin Olszewski came out in the spring of 2020, very early, with her eyewitness accounts of what she saw in the New York City hospitals, I was waiting for professional journalists uh, and others to follow up Uh, and I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and the years went by and I said, I guess I better do it. (laughs) So what the book shows is that the things Aaron reported were not just one badly run hospital and it was not just a few bad apples. It was systemic and it was not just a few individual tragedies. Unfortunately, that's the impression even people who follow the COVID situation uh, very closely still believe. Right? So let's address the scale of this thing. Let's look at the numbers in the US. 1,100,000 people are reported to have died of COVID. Over 900,000 of them died in a hospital or other medical setting. And what emerges from the book and the interviews is that the protocol used to treat people who had positive COVID tests uh, treated in the hospitals completely contradicts all previous medical practice, wasn't based on anything that can be called science, and defied all common sense. And when it became obvious that the protocols were harming and even killing people, the few nurses who stood up were demoted, fired, professionally blackballed, had their licenses challenged, and were tracked down by well-organized gangs of internet trolls. Uh, The book's 491 pages. Uh, It could have easily been 10 times that amount. Uh, In fact, what's needed is not just a book, but a serious commission on the scale of the investigations done after the JFK assassination, the Challenger disaster, and 9-11. There are many, many nurses and other healthcare professionals who need to be interviewed. Many surviving family members need to be interviewed, and many survivors need to be interviewed because they didn't kill everyone and there are people whose health has been completely wrecked uh, by the the so-called treatment, there are potentially hundreds of thousands of families and survivors affected uh, affected by this, right? So in addition uh, to that, we need the hospital records. We're looking at some of them, we're examining them. Just the most garish, horrifying things come out when you actually study these records. And we need to look at all the death certificates. And here's the takeaway. This thing is not over. The system that did this is still in place, and for all practical purposes, it's completely off-radar of everybody. Um, Turning this around is going to be a big project. Uh, If you'd like to help, uh, go to whatthenursesaw.com. You can get the book there. You can order extra copies for your community and your library, which I hope you'll do. Uh, You can join the list of people who are interested in following the story as it develops. Uh, the title of the book again is "What the Nurses Saw," and we have a website, WhatTheNursesSaw dot com. So that's that's my motivation, and uh, that's what the book's about.
2: Thank you so much. We're actually putting the link in the chat as well, um, but yeah, I really appreciate you, Ken. It's
4: Ken. So, so bottom line, it sounds to me like not, do you think ninety percent or more of the COVID deaths were due? to the medical community and not the virus.
3: You know, it's such a it it's got so many moving parts, right? So I, I was very careful to say people who were said to have died of COVID, and this opens a big can of worms. How many people actually had COVID who were put on these protocols? We don't know that we don't know the answer to that question. Um, How many people were put on remdesivir when it made no clinical sense at all? And how many of those people died or had their organs seriously injured? We don't know. Um, How many people were rushed to intubation and event who, in any other situation in the entire history of medicine, would never have been put on event because event is the last uh, extreme that you go to? and Mark Bischofsky can really get into that in detail. So there's a lot of stuff we don't know, but I think the number is hundreds of thousands were killed by the protocols. And we've got precedents for this. I mean, this has happened before in, in other times in, his, in history where you know, a, a un, an ill-advised protocol was accepted. But here's the thing about this protocol. It was not only promulgated and, dis- and disseminated, it was enforced with an iron fist. And that's one of the things we have in the book. Uh, we have the financial incentives that were given. There were incentives given to give remdesivir. There were incentives to put people on on venting quickly. Uh, there were there were you know there, the cash register rang every time you ran somebody through a course of remdesivir. The cash register rang every time you put somebody, uh, you intubated somebody and put them on event. It ran it it rang again when you kept somebody on event for more than ninety six hours. And I hope Mark will address that because. It makes no clinical sense. It follows no historical precedent in medicine, and it makes no logical sense. So I can't give you the, the exact number, and I think it would take many, many people spending thousands of hours to start to drill down and figure out
4: how many, but I'm going to guess hundreds of thousands. And is there, is there any precedent for this happening for any other condition? And why do you need to incentivize hospitals to put people to give people remdesivir? Why do you need to incentivize hospitals to treat people, quote, correctly? Why would you need to incentivize hospitals? Shouldn't they be doing the right things on their own? Why the the necessary force from above? Why is it necessary for them, for there to be protocols that doctors have to not deviate from and obey without question? Why is that necessary? Yeah. And, and why was it necessary when experienced
3: nurses stood up, spoke up, and said, hey, this isn't going well. This isn't the right thing to do. We're injuring people. We're killing people. Why were they shut down? Why were they fired? Uh, why were they blackballed from their profession? Why were their licenses attacked? Why were trolls set after them? So there's a lot of moving parts here. There's, there's whoever figured out this protocol. Then there's the people who figured out the incentives. And then there's the people who figured out the enforcement. Uh, so, it, it's, um, it, it doesn't look like an accident, as, you
4: know, I think we can, assume, we can safely assume it was no accident. And the, so, there's, nothing, uh, there's no precedent for what happened in, in all of history, as far as you know. Well, if you look back at Fauci's other greatest hit back in the 1980s,
3: uh, he managed to get a drug called AZT, which had previously been banned for human use. Uh, he managed to speed that through and he managed to, you know, tell everybody it was going to solve the AIDS crisis. And there are legitimate researchers that think at least 300,000 people were killed by AZT. So, so it not only has, not, that, that wasn't in the hospitals, right? But not only has it been done, it was done before under Fauci's watch. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Incredible. Well, Ken, thank you for coming on this evening. We're going to bring in several of the nurses that are featured in your book. Um, so if you want to stick around a little bit, uh, especially for Q&A, that would be wonderful if you have the time.
4: And, and hey, one quick question before you go, which is you've talked to a lot of people. What is the most astonishing, you know, knock your socks off story that you have heard in talking to all these nurses? What is the single story that sticks out as saying, oh, my God, I had no idea this is, this is horrible?
3: There's, there's Steve. There's so much horror to the story, and I, I can't. You know, it's hard to think of the most horrible thing. But I'll give you a simple thing that blew my mind. These patients were denied basic anti-inflammatories. We're not talking about ivermectin or vitamin C drips, or they were not even allowed to have ibuprofen. Once you got classified as a COVID patient, you went onto the protocol. Uh, assembly line and one of the things on the assembly line was no no anti-inflammatories and no steroids and, and and ask mark about that ask ask the nurses about that this is that's unprecedented in the history of medicine it made no sense and it set people up who had a minor problem into having a, a major problem so it's a, that's a simple one but think how mind-boggling that is we're talking about advil we're talking about people not being allowed to take the absolute thing they needed to keep their their inflammation down
2: but yet they'd give them remdesivir that you know they, shuts down their kidneys and kills them fast
1: yeah. there you go and yeah. and loved ones and family and friends were not allowed to access them they were kept outside so nobody can monitor what was going into these patients bodies or advocate for them for other anything else
4: right so so basically if you get covid the last place that on earth that you want to be is in a hospital? Well, you know, I'm not a doctor
3: and I can't give medical advice. I can tell you what I would do. I wouldn't go. Uh, I would try to keep the inflammation. I would go to a, a, a nurse. There are many nurses and I hope they'll talk about this. There are many nurses that are now setting up their own clinics, which they're allowed to do. Uh, and I would go to a nurse like that way before I would go to a hospital for sure.
2: Well, that, that's what we did when, when Pierre and I had COVID down in, at Defeat the Mandates LA. We called Tara, and she came, and we had the IV vitamin C. Literally, I didn't even know I had COVID. I just tested myself just to see, but we, I, I knew that I had been exposed, and I, and I had it. You know, After I got home, I tested, and I breezed through it, and that's the first person that I called was an experienced ICU nurse who knew what to do and how to treat me versus going into a hospital. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ken.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you, Ken. All right, I'm going to bring on Erin, also known as Nurse Erin. Welcome to VSRF Live.
5: Hello. Thank you guys so much for having me.
1: I'm going to read your bio real quick. You volunteered. You registered. Oh, she, sorry, she's not on too. screen, uh, uh, video. Olivia, oh, yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah, she's, I, not, I, she's I, on I, now. Yeah, okay. I can see Okay. Okay. You're a registered nurse who volunteered for the front lines as a traveling nurse assigned to New York's Elmhurst Hospital during the COVID-19 pandemic. What you found there horrified you and inspired a new focus uh, to your advocacy. Aaron's book, The Undercover Epicenter Nurse, reveals how gross negligence, insurance fraud, medical malpractice, and good old-fashioned greed killed everyday Americans at Elmhurst and beyond. Thank you for joining. So
2: Thank Steve, you. if you remember, she was in the your favorite documentary, The Time Is Now. Yeah. I remember you watched that. You were you were fantastic in that, Erin. Tell us Thank tell you. us what you saw and witnessed and what life was like for you back then.
5: Oh my gosh. Um man, it's been like a long fight. I can't believe we're in 2024 already. So I mean, right around this time, you know, they were probably pre-planning this COVID and You know march hit and um i was working in the emergency room at a local hospital here in tampa bay and we were furloughed so ended up looking at different positions that you know they were recruiting nurses into new york the epicenter of the epicenter so um they remember they were calling it a war zone and you know creating this like I don't know. They were having parades at seven o'clock every night. You know, it was just like a very bizarre type of situation, but I, it's something that I guess I rush into danger. Um, you know, like i, I I'm a combat veteran as well. So I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not afraid I'll, I'll go. Um, and then I ended up uh, being assigned to Elmhurst hospital, which was the epicenter of the epicenter in Queens, New York. And, a few days in, not even, maybe the first day I was there and I knew that this was um, a mass genocide. Um, it was something that I never witnessed, you know, in my entire life and I've been in healthcare care in some form since I was 16 years old and um, I knew I just had to say something um, despite, you know, the the pushback.
2: What were the shocking things that you saw that didn't make sense?
5: Nobody was going in the patient rooms, and they had extensions on the IVs outside of the rooms. <laughs> and
4: oh, my gosh.
5: It's disgusting. Um, a couple of patients that I was assigned to, you know, I, I, I'd enter the room. I'm not afraid. Like, when you, do, when, you, when you sign up to be a nurse or a doctor or anybody in the hospital, I don't care if you're a janitor, you know the risk, right? You, you know that you're going to go into the room. There's a possibility that you can catch anything, if you don't want to do that, then then leave the the healthcare and go work at home or something. But at the, if if you're going to be there and you're getting paid to be there, and we were getting paid a lot of money, it was ten thousand dollars a week for nurses, nurse practitioners.
4: Wow.
5: uh fifteen grand a week, and you go all the. Some doctors were making well over seventy five thousand dollars a week, which now I realize, and even at the time, I'm like, this is hush money. Like they don't. And it was true because my colleagues would talk about it, how bad everything was, but they didn't want to get fired because we were threatened to get fired. And, um, I mean, there were some patients I went in. There's, n- there's no chance that they had been touched in weeks because there was feces dried up, up their backs. And, you and know, so-
4: and people were, the, the essentially the staff was just afraid of these people in the hospital. They were afraid of getting COVID themselves and dying. Is that what it was?
5: No. No, because everybody knew that it was the protocol. So they, we, were, we were, first of all, we were put on gag orders when we first got there. And then we were only allowed, to, uh, the, the doctors, I should say, were only allowed to use certain medications. None of it was the high-dose IV vitamin C. None of it was, you know... It, there was nothing that we could do the only thing that we could do was sedatives paralytics at that time rendezvous wasn't even a word but later on i learned there was um there were people that were coming in dressed in all black uniforms we wore like a navy blue um with the all travel nurses wore like a navy blue uniform and they would come into my patients rooms and demand that i give them their blood and i would ask where the orders so now i know uh you know almost four years later that they were experimenting on patients without the patient's permission or the family's permission and they were hanging rendesivir uh even without our knowledge on these patients
4: who were the who were these people they're they're employed by the hospital they're not employed do you know who they are
5: have no idea but
4: and to but, this day, you have no idea who they are.
5: No, no. Uh,
4: did you ever ask the hospital, your, your hospital management, who are these people?
5: I did. And, and ironically, so I think it was May 25th when I was fired, um, like a few days prior to that, I went and talked to management about this nurse practitioner, supposedly no name badge, nothing. Um, and I'm like. What are they doing? Like there's no order for this and they're threatening me and she actually had threatened me in the room that you know you're going to you'll be gone soon and sure enough I was. So there is more to it that we don't even know that I don't even know.
4: You don't so you never got an answer and to this day you do not know who these people in the black suits were.
5: No. And the patient never seen
4: them be, never seen them before in the hospital. These people no. don't work for the hospital. You'd know, oh, wow. right? No, I mean, uh,
5: to this day, and at the end of my video in my documentary, um, when I went undercover, the, the patient that they killed, which now I know for certain 100% that he was murdered. Um, he was alert and like, he was, you know, about ready to, to come off the ventilator and, um. He was in the room when I was. I was literally blocking the door. I had my hands up on the door, and I think that they did that purposely because he probably, you know, they knew that he was alert and could probably, you know, tell his story. And it, it, like they removed. Really
2: didn't, you make Aaron. This didn't they, Erin? They they took you away from him, so, and he was the one patient that you knew would survive, or you had a good feeling that he would survive and they took you away and when you stepped out of the room and went to go got reassigned to another place in the hospital you heard a code blue called to his room and he expired was that is that the patient you're talking about
4: Mhm yeah So um, he was alive and and he died how many minutes after you left the room
2: It had to have been like
5: 20 and you were between 20 to 40 minutes Um, and they were put, they put me in the emergency room. They didn't even need me there. And like, everyone was like, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. This is like really bizarre. I just felt it like deep down in my soul. Like I'm like, I, there's something, there was something wrong. And I remember like running in slow motion.
0: We're going to take a break now and, uh, come back. And if you'd like to call in and share your concerns, your questions, your, your opinion, please do so. Our talk back number is 888 874 4888. That's 888 874 4888. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Your turn to give us a call. Share your insights. If you're a nurse, a physician, a pharmacist, someone working within the healthcare system who witnessed something similar to what you've been hearing. And we have hundreds of nurses no controversy in their background, properly qualified, and physicians who can attest to what is being said as being accurate. 888 is our number. If you've noticed, virtually everyone in the mainstream media is supporting, and especially Fox, Hannity and Laura etc., they're supporting Israel. And indeed, Israel should be supported if it wants to live in peace and harmony with its neighbors. I support that. I also support the Palestinian people and their right to live in their own state, not as an apartheid state, not under the rule of anyone else. And if you don't think that is fair, then why don't you ask the Sunni in Saudi Arabia, how do they feel living as a repressed religious group, mind you? They're controlled by the Wahhabist faction, the religious clerics in Saudi Arabia, and then reverse that into Iran, predominantly Sunni, and then how do you feel being a Wahhabist? Whenever you have one people who have the power over another people, and you're supposed to live in the same country, what does it mean to be repressed? Unless you're in their shoes, unless you're Chris Hedges and have gone into their villages, live with them for years as he did, he speaks their language. He speaks fluent Arabic. You can't appreciate the stories, misinformation, and propaganda you hear every day, 24-7, over the mainstream media. And that's why I give a form to Chris Hedges. This is the latest. I only recite part of this. This is the latest commentary called The Silence of the Damned. Quote, Our leading humanitarian and civil institutions, including major medical institutions, refused to denounce Israel's genocide in Gaza. This exposes their hypocrisy and complicity. There is no effective health care system left in Gaza. Infants are dying. Children are having their limbs amputated without anesthesia. Thousands of cancer patients and those in need of dialysis lack treatment. The last cancer hospital in Gaza was, well, it ceased to function. An estimated 50,000 pregnant women have no safe place to give birth. They undergo cesarean sections without anesthesia. Miscarriage rates are up to 300% since the Israeli assault began. The wounded bleed to death. There is no sanitation, no clean water. Hospitals have been bombed and shelled. Nassar Hospital, uh, one of the Last functioning hospitals in Gaza is near collapse. Clinics, along with ambulances, 79 in Gaza and over 212 in the West Bank, have been destroyed. 400 doctors, nurses, medics, and healthcare workers have been killed. More than the total of all healthcare care workers killed in conflicts around the world combined since 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 23, and 24. Combined. Over 100 more have been detained, interrogated, beaten, and tortured or disappeared by Israeli soldiers. Israeli soldiers routinely enter hospitals to carry out forced evacuations. On Wednesday, troops entered Al-Aman Hospital and demanded doctors and displaced Palestinians leave as well as round up detainees, including wounded, sick, and medical staff. On Tuesday, disguised as hospital workers and civilians, Israeli soldiers entered Jenin's uh, Sena Hospital in the West Bank and assassinated three Palestinians as they slept. The cuts to funding f- for the United Nations Relief and Workers uh, Works Agency for Palestine refugees in the Near East are collective punishment for the alleged involvement in the October 7th attack of 12 of its 13,000 workers, and that will accelerate the horror, turning the attack, starvation, lack of health care, and spread of infectious disease in Gaza into a tidal wave of death. The evidence-free charges, which include the accusation that 10% of all of the Gaza staff have ties to Islamic militant groups, appeared in the Wall Street Journal. The reporter Kerry Keller Lynn served in the Israeli defense forces. Given the numerous lies Israel has employed to justify its genocide, including beheading babies, didn't happen, mass rape, didn't happen, it is responsible to assume this may be another fabrication. The allegations of which details remain scant are apparently based upon confessions by Palestinian detainees most certainly after being beaten or tortured. These allegations are enough to see 18 countries, including the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Germany, France, Australia, and Japan, cut or delay funding for the vital UN agency. UNRWA is all that stands between the Palestinians in Gaza and complete famine. A handful of countries, including Ireland, Norway, and Turkey, maintain their funding. Israel is seeking to destroy not only Gaza's healthcare system and infrastructure, but also any of the agencies of the UN, like the UNRWA, which provides food and aid to 2 million Palestinians. The object is to make Gaza uninhabitable and ethnically cleansed the 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza. Hundreds of thousands are already starving to death. Over 70% of the housing has been destroyed. More than 26,700 people have been killed. 65,600 have been injured. Thousands are missing. Some 90% of Gaza's pre-war population has been displaced, with many living in the open. Palestinians have been reduced to eating grass and drinking contaminated water. And it goes on from there. That's only about one-tenth of the article. I just want to share this and ask the people like Wolf Blitzer, who, by the way, I found a clip, in fact, I want to thank Mitchell Cohen for sending me the clip. It's an old clip, like 20 years old, 30 years old, where Wolf Blitzer, who was a writer for the primary uh, Jewish public relations group in the United States, uh, argued about the Palestinian state and the Israeli state and pro-Zionist positions. Norman Finkelstein was there and just out of Yale with his doctorate and uh, he gave a far more convincing, compelling, and accurate uh, description of the conflict. That's the same with Flitzer on CNN Think of how much control he has over what is actually accepted as legitimate news, everything from Israel, and disinformation, everything that challenges it. That's the world we live in today where the average person, Unfortunately is frustrated they don't know who to believe, what to believe, what to do. As a result, their voices remain silent and those who do protest they are always they are always monikered as if they are supporting terrorism. How does supporting the innocent uh, population of Israel that the ones the Palestinians and the Christian uh, Christian uh, Palestinians, how do you comport? They're not wanting anything to do with Hamas and them being a part of Hamas, and therefore they should share and collective punishment. Just suggesting this. I like your input. 8888744888. And while uh, and while Dylan is in New York and waiting to uh, see who's calling in so we can put you on, like to hear from you. I want to give you a special. And a lot of people don't understand. I've gotten feedback that people say, well, Gary, I take green stuff and I take red stuff, so why do I need fruit and veggie stuff? These are what I would call functional preparations. What do I mean? I mean the green stuff, red stuff, power berry blast, muscle stuff, immune stuff, uh, fiber stuff, energy stuff. All of these are meant to function in a very specific way in the body. So when I created green stuff and red stuff, I won't go into why I created it because I don't want to act like I'm making a claim, but I was concerned about people's immune response. I was concerned that they weren't getting the type of phytonutrients from chlorophyll-rich products like chlorella, spirulina, etc. that you're not going to get it in a normal diet, not in any amount that's of value certainly not to rise to being functional. And then I began to see all the ads on television by products that I assume, I'm I'm not making any remark about the products themselves. They're three capsules of green and three capsules of red, and then all these testimonies, how to improve their life. And they may be absolutely right. But when they one day said, well, you know, if you have these, something to this effect, you've taken care of your fruit and vegetables intake. And I said, hold on a second. So I got their product, I tested it in the laboratory and found out it didn't even contain enough for one serving. The trouble is, even vegans, even people in the health movement, more often than not, do not get, they get too much protein and not enough of high-quality fruits and vegetables. So all the scientific, and when I say all of it, I mean all of the scientific literature shows that you need at least five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, And the USDA, which is the official arbiter of all this, says that you need five and a half. So I then decided, how can I do something that no one else has done? It took me a year, but I finally, because of my science background, cracked that. And now, in every scoop of the fruit and vegetable stuff, you're getting three servings of fruits and vegetables per serving. Yes and uh, you're also getting a lot of fiber. Good amount of fiber. eight. So then I suggested why not just have a serving in the morning and a serving in the evening? And that way you're getting six servings of fruits and vegetables which your body needs. And that's you know that I take two scoops every morning in my smoothie with my green stuff and red stuff and power bear blast and supremacy and, uh, and a lot of muscle, and plus I add in olive oil and and flaxseed oil. So there's a reason why I created fruit and vegetable stuff, because think of how often, for legitimate reasons, you're busy and you can't go to a store, you can't take a break and have a real nice, healthy breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Now you can. Because now you have something that functions specific to your need for fruits and vegetables. I don't make claims. If I made a claim for each of my products, I trust me, a lot more products would be sold, but I don't do that. I'll simply say there is no other product that I'm aware of in the world that has been able to duplicate this and put three servings of fruits and vegetables in a single serving. I did it. And we tested it in the laboratory, and it works. So why? I take two stroops a day, and therefore I know minimally if I just fast that day, I'm getting more fruits and vegetables into my body, six servings than even what the USDA recommends. But I have mango and black currant and cantaloupe and watermelon and papaya and plums and green peas and zucchini and tomatoes and watercress and squash and pea fiber and blackberry, all in this. So you're getting phenomenal foods, many of which I do not have in any other product, And you're getting them in a blend, unlike anything else. So, this is not in replacement of green stuff and red stuff. And today, you're getting it on sale. You're getting a special discount just by itself on this product. So, so if you want to know the number to call, call 877-627-5065. 877-627-5065. And for those in the audience who themselves really are conscious about your diet, and I know most of you are, and who really care about your health, but you may be with a brother, sister, father, you know, someone uh, who is not eating the way they should. Then why not give them a smoothie, ask them for their favorite, well, I like chocolate, okay, then fine. Give them uh, cruciferous stuff, therefore they're getting all the cruciferous stuff, but it's a natural cacao, tastes like chocolate and then throw in two scoops of fruit and veggie stuff. They'll love the taste. It won't taste like a health food. It'll taste like their favorite junk food. But at least you know, if nothing else that day, you've done what you can do, within reason, to someone who is resistant. All right? And maybe you're that resistant person, in which case, put two scoops in the morning in, and whatever else you eat the rest of the day, at least you've gotten your fruits and vegetables. You can also order online. You're getting a 30% discount. All right? And um, you can call Neil in our vitamin closet at 646-926-5430. 646-926-5430. One other thing I want to share with you, starting this week, if you've been using the um, the this answer, and some of you have been using it now for over two months, some for a month, and you're seeing really positive changes, and all the feedback we've gotten has been phenomenal. But I'd like to see it. I'd like to see a before picture and an after picture, at least showing me anywhere on the body. I don't care if it's a rough scaliness around your heels that people forget about, but they shouldn't, or maybe it's the crepey skin around your knees or under your arms, across your check, on your neck. Maybe it's lighter uh, lines in your face, deep or, or soft lines. If you can see a difference, if you send me the pictures, I'm going to select 10 people and give them a free bottle of it, and that way you can carry it forward. And I'm going to do this each month. So, okay. And for those of you who weren't aware of it, the Gary and Oasis answer We're also doing this today, and this is only for 24 hours. If you call in today, instead of paying $400, which you should for two bottles, you're only going to pay $199.95. So, you're getting it off. Even those who had an extended $125, buy two bottles or more, you get them for $99.95 each. That's a huge discount. Call 877-627-5065. So if you want glowing, vibrant, healthy skin, you're not going to get it just under normal conditions. Once you start aging, sun exposure, weather exposure, stress, toxins, poor diet. And what makes this product so unique, unlike any other product in the world, that normally costs, and by the way, don't take my word for it, call Macy's, call the high-end beauty stores, and ask them, what would your top three skin care products cost? And they're going to go anywhere. If you call New York, it's between 450 to $550. In Bel Air, and on Rodeo Drive, it go up to $1,000. Then ask them, what are your ingredients that are scientifically proven to make a difference? Then you don't get the information. What are all the, the thickeners and everything else and, and the artificial perfumes? And then suddenly, you generally don't get the information you need because a lot of it's illusion. Mine is not. There are three novel patented ingredients that make it unlike any other skin care product. One is a patented lysosomal preparation derived from the stem cells of a very rare Swiss apple, which has been shown to extend the skin's longevity and to prevent delay and reverse wrinkling. According to Harvard researchers, skin aging is a type of wounding whereby the skin's own stem cells are no longer able to preserve the skin's strength, thickness, elasticity, and function. But my liposomal preparation replaces this loss, thereby regenerating new cell growth. The Our proprietary extracellular matrix promoting peptone, uniquely derived from the plant and marine kingdoms, Nourishes skin cells and stimulates the production of soluble elastin as a defense against the loss of elasticity, which contributes to sagging and wrinkling skin. And a third novel ingredient is an exceptional lipopeptide formula. All these patented, all these tested, to stimulate six crucial constituents in the skin and the epidermal matrix: three types of collagen, fibronectin, a hyaluronic acid, and laminin five. Together. This peptide uh, combination rebuilds and tightens wrinkles and creases from the inside. And finally, Age Answer has been formulated with demonstrated natural moisturizers like organically grown aloe and, and rejuvenators to the skin and barrier like primrose oil, metafoam, rosehip, all natural ingredients, natural flavor, or aroma. That's it. Give a call. Uh, at 877-627-5065. Buy two, you get them for 24 hours at ninety nine ninety five. That's a huge savings. We're out of time, everyone. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.